And that is good news today that that all of the promises we have in Jesus are yes and amen. If you're following him, if you're close to Jesus, he's got you right now. And so right now, a lot of us are sitting in quarantine still. In fact, probably all of us, we all should be. And we can know in the middle of this, in the middle of some discomfort, where you're starting to finally feel like if you're an introvert, you're finally feeling, hey, I want some people around me. Just know that Jesus is with you and he is our yes and amen. Not only that, but you are joining together right now with your Foundry family from all around the Jackson Metro area, joining together on Instagram Live right now and Facebook Live. And we're getting to participate. So if you haven't already, jump in the comments right now, say hey to somebody, make a joke with somebody, go ahead and share. Share this as well so that your friends and family can join into this Foundry family and we can have a good time today. We want to celebrate who Jesus is and we want to have fun doing it. That's true right now in quarantine and that's true all of the time. We're kicking off a new message series today and this new message series is called Habits. Now guess, guess what Habits is about? It's about habits in our lives. A lot of us as we've hit quarantine right now, we're looking around at our lives and we're thinking, you, you know... I probably should get some new habits. I probably need to take my life and what I'm doing right now and instead of just watching Netflix and just sitting around and just being bored and just going and mowing my grass for the third time today, I might need to get some new habits in place. A lot of times when we run into to stressors in life and chaos and disruption in life is when we realize how strong our habits actually are. This year, when we hit January, I didn't actually set any New Year's resolutions, didn't have any goals in front of me. What I did instead is I decided that every month or every two months, I just wanted to start a new habit, something that would be good for me, that would make my life better. And, and so I did it. I started off, and my first habit was I'm going to keep all of my personal spaces clean, like my car, my office, my room. I'm going to keep it all very clean. Now, I, I tend to be a pretty structured person in life. Unfortunately, that structure does not extend to my spaces. I tend to have pretty cluttered spaces. And so I did that January, mostly a little bit into February. I made that my focus. I got everything clean and neat and nice. My next goal, my next habit that I wanted to have is I wanted to start journaling. Now, not a dear diary kind of journal, not a, hey, here's how I'm feeling today. Uh, Like a lot of you guys watching this, the last thing I want to do is sit down at the end of my day and write about my feelings. Like, there's so many things I want to do other than that. In fact, just about anything other than that. I'd rather go out and have to run five miles and have to write about my feelings. But what I did is I started a five-year journal where I just had to write a couple lines each day. And then then next year, I'd come and I'd write some lines on that same page, but a year later. So this would be a cool thing to do. So I started that in February and kind of did that up into March. And so I had these habits going. The problem is something called COVID-19, or maybe you call it coronavirus, or maybe you're super, super bougie and you call it the SARS-CoV-2. You came in and you, you, all that came in and suddenly I was like, man, all this stuff's coming in. Everything's disrupted and I got out of my habits. Why? Because habits are hard to keep. You learn this. Habits are hard to keep. And here's what I hear from a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people about their lives and a lot of people tell me how hard it is to change their behavior, to create change in their lives. A lot of people find themselves, and they do good for a week or two, but find themselves exactly back where they were before in their relationships, in their finances, in their spiritual life, with addictions they have in their lives. They just find themselves back in the same place over and over and over again. And, and I really, I really f- felt challenged as a pastor for a long time in this because I have two deep convictions I want to share with you. One of these convictions is that the gospel is not primarily theoretical, but it's practical. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not abstract, 
but it's embodied. In other words, it's not something just to talk about, it's something to experience. And I see a lot of people in my life, in our community, who aren't experiencing the fullness of freedom, the fullness of joy and life in Jesus. Here's my second conviction, that Jesus is the Lord of every sphere of human existence. Anything we do, he is Lord over it. So your profession, your relationships, your marriage, your finances, your health, your hobbies, Jesus is Lord of all of it. And so our lives in every area of life need to reflect the goodness of God, okay? I've got these convictions, but then I'm talking to all these people who aren't experiencing these things. And so I decided we're going to do a message series on habits. Now, this is probably going to be the most practical message series we've ever done at Foundry. It's going to be one that you can take home and apply. No matter, you can, you can be watching this and not be a Christian, and you'll still be able to take some great content out of this and apply it to your life. So make sure you join us in future weeks. But, but this week, I want to talk, I want to address all of us, or those of us who feel like this. You want to create meaningful, lasting change in your life. But over and over again, you don't seem to be able to do it. You want to, instead of going to Starbucks every single morning and getting a $7 venti latte with soy milk and an extra shot of espresso and an extra shot of your bank account's tears all mixed together and then you drink it. Instead of getting that, you want to stop, but over and over again, you find yourself coming back and bowing at the altar of the mermaid, Starbucks, and getting some more coffee. Over and over again, you find yourself doing that. Or maybe you want to develop meaningful relationships with friends. But every time you spend time with friends, it's with Rachel and Monica and Phoebe. And it's with Joe and Chandler and Ross. I had to look down. I'm, y'all, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a Friends fan. I had to look at the names. I've got them bolded here because I don't watch Friends. I'm an office guy. That joke didn't work. You got to go spend time with your friends on Netflix instead of with real friends. You got goals. You got things you want to do and achieve and you just can't seem to do it. You want to have a powerful and life-changing relationship with God. But over And over again, you find yourself too busy with your jam-packed quarantine schedule. You just got to get up and go check the mail again to see if it's come. You just don't have time to build your relationship with God. Habits are hard. And so I want to talk about today, how can you create meaningful, lasting, positive change in your life? There are three things I believe that keep us from creating this kind of change in our lives. The first is this. You want the product not the process. You want the product, not the process. So so chances are you've set some goals in your life. You might have written these down. You might have just thought these goals. And chances are your goals look a lot like the next guys or the next gals. You want to be happy. You want to have strong, healthy, positive relationships. You want to be financially secure. You want to have a sense of purpose. You want to have a job that gives you meaning. You want to have maybe a relationship with God that is life-giving and good. Those goals are pretty universal. Those goals are the goals that people have had for thousands of years. They look a little different in every culture, but those are pretty much the same goals. And you've probably learned by now that setting more goals does not mean you accomplish more change. Setting more goals doesn't mean you get more of where you want to go. I don't know if we have any sports fans here, and I hate to do this to you. I hate to bring this up right now because I know you're going through sports withdrawal right now. But the NFL, there are 32 teams in the NFL. Every single one of them have the same goal. You ever thought about this? The Browns, possibly the worst football team in the NFL of all time, 
have the same goal that the New England Patriots have. What's their goal? It's to win a Super Bowl. Turns out, though, that having the same goal doesn't get the Browns anywhere close to the Super Bowl. It gets the Patriots there a lot. Now, what's the difference? The difference is, is not the goal. The goal is the same. The difference is in the process. But, but so many of us want to focus on the end game. We want to focus on the product. And here's what you got to know. And this is so helpful. If you're taking notes, write this down. Goals don't create change. A process creates change. I'm going to say that again because that needs to jump into somebody's mind right now. Goals do not create change, but a process creates change. And here's, here's where habits come in, because habits are the, the engine that drives change in your life. Researchers have studied habits a whole lot, as you can imagine, and, and they've discovered that 40 to 50 percent of everything you do in a day is based on habits. You just do it out of habit. In fact, the reason you develop habits is because when you do a habit, your brain kind of shuts off. Like used to, you had to think about doing that thing, but once it becomes a habit, like brushing your teeth, you don't have to focus on brushing your teeth anymore. Your brain kind of quiets down and you just get to do it. And our, and our minds are designed like this to make getting through life and doing life a little easier. So 40 to 50% of everything you do is habit. You just do it naturally out of who you are. And then the reality is that the other 50% or so of life is significantly influenced by that 50% of habits. So much of your life is influenced by habits, and so many of us want to focus on goals, but we don't want to focus on the process that gets us there. There's a guy in the Bible named Nehemiah. There's actually a book written about him called Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. And in Nehemiah, he was a guy who comes back to the nation of Israel. Now, the people of Israel had been taken off to a foreign land called Babylon. And then by God's grace, they got to come back to Israel. And they resettled in the capital city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah came back about 100 years after a lot of the people had already returned to Israel. And we came, when he came back, he saw the city of Jerusalem. But it had no wall around it. Now, a wall was how you defended yourself, how you kept the enemies out, how you had safety in your lives. And he saw this city that was God's city and there was no walls around it. Now it had been this way for 100 years. Think about that. 100 years, no wall, no protection, no safety. But he wanted to do something about it. So what did he do? He got a plan. He got a process in place. You can read about this in the book of Nehemiah. He got all the people together and he assigned portions of the wall to different people to lead to build that. While they were in the process of building the wall, they had enemies who were threatening to attack them. So what did they do? Did they stop? Did they pick a new goal? No, same goal, same process, just adjusted it a little bit. Everyone now had to work. And when they worked, half of them had their, their spears and their, their swords ready half of them kept working and, and the ones who were working had to keep their swords close by so they could fight off an enemy attack and they had this process now, now now remember what I just said they had had no wall around Jerusalem for 100 years how long did it take them to build the wall with this process 52 days in 52 days, with the right process, Nehemiah led the people of Israel to regain safety and security in their city of Jerusalem. Now, now think about that. Think about your life for a second. You've got some problems you've been staring in the face for a long time. You've been thinking about the same problems, dealing with the same problems. But the problem is you've had a goal to change those problems, but you haven't had a process you haven't had a process that helps you get better. So, so maybe it's this. Maybe your goal is that you want to lose 20 pounds. 
Well, well maybe instead of, of trying to hope for 20 pounds and hope you find the right diet or the right supplement or the right person comes into your life with the perfect pill you can take to get rid of it, maybe you should start a process of limiting what you eat and a process of exercising regularly. It's the process, not the goal that's going to change things. Maybe you want to get married. And you're thinking, that's the goal. I just can't wait till I'm married. Well, here's, here's what you can do. It's really a process you can do for this. Uh, if you really want to get married, the process is, and I'm, I'm being totally serious here, you go to your friends, you go to your parents, you go to people you can trust, and you say, I need to, my process is to go on one casual date a month, help me out. And they will be overjoyed to set you up with people. That's the process. One date a month is your process. Maybe you say, hey, I want to be a millionaire. That's my goal. Well, it's easy. Start a process now. Save 15% of your paycheck. Every single time you get paid, put it in a retirement account. Maybe you say, I want to be a prayer warrior. I want to be one of those people who prays and the room shakes and heaven responds and that's your goal, and you've been hoping for that for about the last five years. Well, maybe it's time right now to say, you know what? My process is I'm going to wake up every morning, and before I check my phone and get lost in the black hole of Instagram, I'm going to pray for five minutes. And you say, that's not a lot, but that's going to start the process of letting you become a prayer warrior. So, so the, the, first, the first reason, the first thing we need to realize is that often we don't grow and don't change because we want the product not the process. Here's the, here's the second reason we struggle to create change. We want the process to be faster. We want the process to be really quick. We are used to microwaving our food and we want it ready immediately. And instead, you gotta slow down and you gotta trust the process and not just want the process to be faster. If you've, if you've ever been starving, and just so hungry, and you don't have time to cook something, and you just want food right now, and you just need something healthy and wholesome to eat, something that is brought all the way from the ramen noodle factory. And so you get out your ramen noodles, which is God's blessing to us, the sustenance of life, and you start boiling the water. Now, when it boils, you get excited, because that means you're two minutes away from getting to have your ramen noodles. But how many people sit there before the water boils and say, oh my goodness, Look, I got a thermometer in here, and we just went up from 72 degrees to 74 degrees. I'm pumped. I love the process. We moved up from 74 to 76 degrees. I love the process. We're up to 90 degrees. I love the process. And count your way up. We don't do that. We wait until it's boiling, and we see it's boiling, we say it's ready. What we forget about is all the time it takes to get up to the boiling. Now, the same is true with, with your life and with my life. Often when we see people be successful, we say, oh, look, they just had a breakthrough. That breakthrough's amazing. What we don't realize is that in order to get to the breakthrough, they had to sit there with the hammer for years and chip away and chip away until they finally got the breakthrough. What we gotta keep in mind is that the process takes a long time. I love the story of David. When you think of David from the Bible, what do you think of first? You think of Goliath, David and Goliath. David was just a shepherd boy at the time, and, and he stood up against Goliath, a dude who was a warrior, who was nine feet tall, who had some of the greatest weapons known to man at the time. And this little shepherd boy had a sling and five stones. And with those five stones, he defeated Goliath. And that's what he became known for. That's how he eventually became king, is starting at that moment. But I want you to realize, David... The great King David, the David who killed Goliath, did not start at that time. David's journey started years before when he was a shepherd boy sitting with the sheep all the time. And what was his habit? It was to sit there and guard the sheep. 
It was to sit there and protect the sheep. And over and over again, he had to sit there and protect the sheep. Every once in a while, something awesome would happen because a lion would come. And he got to go and kill the lion. All right, he did that once, he said. One time, one time, a bear came, and he killed the bear. And, and David, through time and time and time again, was out with the sheep. And here's what he learned. I've got to protect what I love. No one was out there saying good job. No one was admiring him for it. But over and over again, he was protecting what he loved. And eventually Goliath came. Goliath was this warrior again that David killed. And this Goliath came forward. And Goliath was there. And David said, I will take him on. No one else was willing to do it. Why was David willing to do it? Because he had put the time in and the Lord had prepared him over and over and over again when he was sitting with a sheep, protecting what he loved. God had prepared him to protect what he loved when it mattered most. So many of us want the process to be faster. We go sit with the sheep for a day and we say, this is life's not for me. But the people that God will use, the people who are going to be successful in creating change in their lives are the people who stay with the process even when it gets hard. The pain of your good habits is going to be felt right now. Waking up early tomorrow morning is going to be hard. Going out and saving, saving a little more money, spending a little less money is going to be hard. The pain of good habits is felt right now. But the pain of bad habits is going to be felt down the road. Think about that. The pain of good habits is going to feel right now, but the pain of bad habits is going to be felt down the road. And habits have, researchers have discovered this, a compound effect. If you're familiar with compound interest, right, you start off with something and it grows a little bit. And because it grew a little bit, it grows a little bit extra the next time and a little bit extra the next time. The problem is it feels very slow at first. And you're not moving along quite as fast as you thought you should. What you fail to realize, though, is the tiny step today is going to turn into an enormous step five years from now. The, the small movement forward today is going to turn into an immense step forward ten years from now. And if you just take the small step over and over again, these build on each other. Too many of us want to short-circuit the process. We want to move along a lot faster. And you just need to start off with small steps. Here's what I mean. If your goal is to get in better shape, walk around the block today. It's small. You think, what is that going to do? Just walk around the block today. Small steps done consistently turn into enormous outcomes. Small steps done consistently turn into enormous outcomes. If you want to pay off your debt, then just take $10 from every single paycheck and put it towards paying down your debt. $10, it's small. You're not gonna notice that. That $10, though, will have a compound effect and you're gonna pay off your debt so much faster. If you want to grow closer to God, then just open up your Bible today and read one verse. If you're not already reading the Bible, read one verse. That tiny step today is going to put you on a process, because tiny steps done consistently have an enormous outcome. It's going to put you on a process reading one verse to hear God's voice in a way you've never heard it before. Small steps done consistently have an enormous outcome. Here's the third reason we struggle. Now, the, the first two, you can kind of understand. I, I could have guessed those. We, we, we think about the outcome, not the process, and the process, we want it to go faster. That's the first two challenges we have. This third challenge is one that we don't often think about, but it's the most important. There's a book called Atomic Habits by an author named James Clear. I would strongly suggest you read it. In fact, a lot of the content of the series is developed from that. And he says that the most important step, the first step, is not about what you do, 
or how you do it. It's about who you want to become. If you want to develop good habits, the first step is not about what you do or how you do it. It's about who you want to become. This is so important because so many of us want to rush to our outcomes. We want to rush to our process, but it's all got to start with a big who, and it all starts with your identity. What's your challenge in creating good habits? You have forgotten your identity. You have forgotten your identity. And here's what you got to know. What you do comes out of who you are. What you do comes out of who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you can't do what you got to do. Let me explain what I mean. My mom is not a big sports fan. Uh, she, she could really could not care less to sit down and watch a basketball game, football game, baseball game. She'd rather be doing something productive with her time. But she loved watching my two younger brothers play basketball in high school. She was the number one fan. She was at every away game, and she was vocal. She would, she would cheer loudly for them. She would say negative things, not mean things, but just kind of wonder why the refs were so blind or didn't know the rules to basketball. She was all about her guys doing well. In fact, there'd be times when one of my brother's teammates would take a shot, and my mom just thought that was a bad shot because they should have passed it to her son. And she thought, she'd say it out loud in the stands, why do you take that shot? And like, you're like, mom, 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 no, 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 no. We can't say that out loud. We can't say that out loud. Like, I know we can cheer for them. But my mom was all into basketball. She loved it. She was passionate about it. Why? Because she was a mom. That's what moms do. What you do comes out of who you are. Right now, I, I'm not someone who cares a lot about my health. But right now, my identity in this society is a healthy person. Right? I want to stay healthy. So what do I do? I went to Kroger. Uh, for the first time after stuff had gotten kind of crazy around here, I went to Kroger and my mom had given me a mask to wear. Now, normally you could not catch me dead in a medical mask in public. I could be out in the middle of some crazy stuff, wouldn't wear it, but my mom had given it to me and the government said I was supposed to do it. It's like a good little sheeple. I put it on and I put my plastic gloves on. What in the world? And I put them on and I walk into Kroger wearing a mask and some gloves. Now, when I got in, I realized everybody else was doing it too. And I kind of had a swagger about me, you know, because I had these gloves. They weren't like the super tight ones. They kind of like were nicer gloves. And so I kind of had a swagger around knowing that I didn't just have a bandana around my mouth. I had a medical mask. And what I did came out of my identity as a healthy person. All right, here's what you've got to realize. You have an identity as a person, as a human being. You have this who you are. And if you are a follower of Jesus, understand this, you have an identity. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul's writing to a church and he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus today, your identity is that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. If you are in Christ, listen to me right now, you are a new creation and you are new. That's your identity. Paul goes on. He talks about in a, in a, in a letter he wrote to the Colossian church. He says this, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices You've taken off those habits, Paul writes, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. If you are a follower of Jesus, your primary identity is you are a new creation in Christ. Your old practices, your old habits are gone, 
and you have been renewed in the image of God. That's who you are. That is your identity. And every time you believe a lie about yourself, Every time you believe something that Satan puts in your mind or something you start believing you see, that you see in the world around you, you start believing. Every time you believe a lie about yourself, your control over your life lessens. Now, this is true. This is true from scripture. It's also true from research that has been done about habits. The research and the Bible say the same thing, that when your sense of identity and your understanding of identity lessens, then you are less in control of your life. A wrong identity leads to a broken process, which leads to a stagnant life. And so many of us are stuck in stagnant lives, and it doesn't go back to the goals. It doesn't even go back to the process or the habits. It goes back to your identity. Who are you? You got to live based on who you are. Now, now, what does that mean? I hear people say stuff like, Oh, well, you know, you just got to you gotta understand your identity and live out of your identity. I'm saying the same thing right now. And often when I hear that, I think, yeah, but what do you mean? Like, I don't want to just live in some abstract land where I talk about identity. And, like, I've seen the born identity. I don't want to use to find your identity. He had to kill a lot of people. Like, I don't want to do that. How do I find my identity? And here's what it means to, to live out of your identity. You got to understand who you are, okay? So if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation in Jesus. And then you got you to gotta, you gotta understand who you are and then prove to yourself that you are that person with small wins. Understand who you are, and then prove to yourself with very small wins that you are that person. I love the idea of proving something. Uh, I, think, I think it's so powerful. Like, you can't just say something. you got to prove it. I was a resident assistant in college on my floor at my college. And we were having a time when all the freshmen had just gotten there. We had a lot of new guys uh, on the floor. And so we all got together, kind of did introductions. And as part of the introductions, I did one of those dumb icebreakers where I said, everybody, I want you to introduce yourself and tell us an interesting fact about your life. So we start going around. The first guy, you know, says, hey, my name's Ben. I'm from New Hampshire. Oh, hey, Ben, great to have you on the hall. Next guy says, hey, I'm Daniel. You know, I played the piano. Oh, great, Daniel, another piano player, big whoop, Daniel. We go to the next guy, and he says, my name is Matt, and I have three nipples. We all stopped. It was like, hold up a second. We have, we have a real celebrity in the house tonight. We, we got somebody who actually matters. He's not just some dumb piano player from New Hampshire. He's got three nipples. Now, what do we say next? What do we say next? We weren't like, oh, interesting tidbit about your life. Let's move on. What do we say? We said, prove it. And we literally made the man show us his third nipple. It was amazing. Not what you'd expect. It's not really a nipple, but it was still amazing. Technically a third nipple. We keep going around the circle. It gets to another guy, Henry. Henry says, hey, hey, I'm Henry. And I, too, have a third nipple. Now, statistically, best estimates are there are 200,000 people in the U.S. that have three nipples. And two of those people were on my floor. Three nipples. Three nipples. Between the two of them, six nipples. What do we say to him? Prove it. And he proved it. He had three nipples, okay? Why am I telling you this? Because we went on to it that, that year in college. Anytime someone would say something, we'd say, prove it. So-and-so would say, hey, I got a girlfriend now. Oh, you have a girlfriend? Prove it. Somebody would say, hey, uh, you know, I, I just passed that test. Prove it. We always had to prove it. In our own lives, in the same way, you've got to prove your identity, not to God, not to people around you, to yourself. All right, here, here is how you create the life and the change you want to have. You understand who you are, and then you prove it to yourself with small wins. 
small wins. You live out of who you are. So if you're in debt right now, here's what you say. I've been set free in Jesus from, from the shame and the guilt of my life. And I want to be set free in every part of my life. So I'm going to prove it right now by paying down my debt as quickly as I can. You say, hey, I'm, I'm going through right now, right now my relationships. I, here's what I know. I put on my new self in Jesus. And so even though I'm not feeling like it right now, I'm going to go to a Zoom group tonight because I know that I need Christian community and other Christians need me in their lives. And I'm going to participate in it. You live out of your identity. You might say this, I have an addiction and I'm wrestling to overcome that addiction. So here's what you say. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say, I am a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so I am going to not even go somewhere or do something where I know I will be tempted. I'm going to avoid it. Why? Because I'm a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And here's what's going to happen. Your identity will sustain your behavior and your behavior leads you to a deeper identity. Your identity is actually going to build up what you do because you say, hey, I'm, I am a new creation. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to live in this way. You say, hey, I'm a dad. I'm going to love my kids well, even though I just want to watch a TV show. You say, hey, I'm a friend and I want to be a good friend. Then I'm going to go and spend time with that person, even though I'm worn out today. You start living out of your identity and just prove it to yourself with small wins and identity. And secular researchers are going to say this just as much as the Bible says this, I Identity is more important than processes, is more important than outcomes. It's about who you are. Who you are always trumps what you do. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul's writing again to another church. He says this, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, okay? So no one can boast, Paul writes, for we are God's handiwork. That's your identity. You were God's handiwork, his, his special craft project. God is working on you and he's building you up. And you were God's handiwork. What are you his handiwork though for? You, it says this, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to, to do. So here identity is you are God's handiwork. And then the behavior is you do the good works God has put in front of you. This connection between identity and behavior is a powerful one. And it's exactly what we see in the example of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is about to start his, his ministry. He's going to start preaching the gospel. He's going to start healing people. Before he does that, he goes and he is baptized by his cousin John. And when John brings him up out of the water, it says an, a dove came down from heaven and landed on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. The father was saying down to Jesus, this is my beloved son. Now, what happens immediately after that? In Luke chapter four, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he is tempted by Satan. And how does Satan come at him? Satan doesn't come at him and say, hey, let's, let's fight. Let's have a boxing match, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I've been watching some UFC and let's, uh, let's go at it right now. Jesus, right now, come on. I got a sling like David did. I'm gonna take you on, Jesus. He didn't do that. Satan came to Jesus and he said, if you are the son of God, of God. If you are the son of God, he questioned Jesus's identity. But what did Jesus do? Jesus proved that he was the son of God by rejecting Satan's temptation. He proved that he was the son of God. It was already his identity and he just proved it by his actions. 
This continued all through Jesus' life. His identity informed his behavior, and his behavior led people to understand his identity. All the way, Jesus' last words before he died on the cross was this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus knew his identity. He was the son of God. And so he lived out of that identity, and then that identity, that that behavior confirmed his identity. Right now, my, my guess is that you're sitting here right now, and there's some change you want to make in your life. You want to do some things differently, but you've been struggling with it. And here's your first step. Your first step is to understand who you are. You are a loving father to your kids. You are a loving mother to your children. You are a new creation in Jesus. You are someone who can be healthy and can be strong, and your identity is not someone who is unhealthy and someone who's going to keep making unhealthy decisions, but you are making decisions because you have a future. That's your identity. And whatever it is that your identity is, you need to prove to yourself with small wins that that is your identity. So, so right now, right now, what's your identity? How do you need to live out of that? My identity is this. I'm a new creation in Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. Here's what I know about my identity. I am a child of God, and the Bible says that I am a co-heir with Jesus. I'm going to inherit alongside Jesus all that the Father has to give. Here's what else I know. My identity is that God has given me a mission. I'm on mission with God, and my mission is to make disciples. And what I know is that I don't live for today. I live for eternity. Now, that is my identity. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that is your identity. So what do you need to do if that's your identity? Start proving it by small wins. Start proving it by doing the right thing. Start proving it by doing the good works which God has put in front of you. And here's the good news if you're trying to start new habits and make changes. It becomes easy to do what you already are. Jesus was able to live the kind of life he lived. He was able to to do the things he did and live free from sin and heal people and bring peace and joy everywhere he went because he was the son of God and he knew it. It becomes easy to do what you already are. You gotta know your identity and then you gotta prove it to yourself with small wins. In your relationships, prove it. In, In your finances, prove what you are. In your addiction right now that you're wrestling with, you've been struggling with for a long time, prove what you are by those small wins. It's not about the outcome, it's about the process, but it's really not about the process as much as it's about your identity. I know someone's watching this right now, and you know in your heart that you are not a follower of Jesus. Here's the good news. All it takes for you is to open up your life to Jesus, to trust him, and your identity is gonna shift. Your identity will no longer be rooted in yourself, or no longer be rooted in the opinions of people around you. Your identity, the Bible says, will be rooted in Jesus. Your identity will be in Christ. What do you have to do to get there? You have to recognize that Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. And then three days later, we just celebrated this on Easter, he rose again from the dead, showing that the the power of death and the grave had been overcome. And by rising from the dead, he he allowed us to enter into the family. All you have to do is turn away from your own way, 
Turn away from your own sin. Admit you've done wrong. Admit you need Jesus and just trust in him. And the Bible says when you do that, you become a new creation. Right now, someone is is watching this. And right now, the Lord is speaking to you. Now, when the Lord speaks to you, remember the God of the universe is communicating with you. And you just sense in your heart right now, this, this is for you today. That Jesus wants you to become a new creation, that Jesus paid the price for you to become a new creation. If you're feeling this right now, I want to lead you in a prayer. You may be watching this with a group of people. You may be by yourself. You may be in your bedroom or in a living room right now watching this. And I want you to know that Jesus has met you right where you are. And he died for you. He loves you. And he wants to make you a new creation. If you're ready to take that step, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Repeat these words after me. Jesus, I want to be a new creation. I'm putting my past behind, I'm putting my sin behind, and I'm giving it to you. And I'm turning my life to you, Jesus. I'm trusting in you, I'm trusting in your death, I'm trusting in your resurrection. I want to be changed. I give you my heart, now give me new life. In your name, Jesus, amen.